I walked into a room in the emergency department of San Francisco General Hospital one day because I heard a man calling out. I was an intern chaplain at that time, and so it fell to me to be in that place at that time in case someone should call out. The man was in acute distress. He was withdrawing from alcohol and he was fulminantly manic. So I sat down and I listened for a while, but he was really hard to follow. And then finally, after I had been there for some time, he began to tell me that he wasn't right with God. He believed that God must be disappointed in him. He had been in a 12-step program, but had stopped and had gone on a long and terrible binge for days and weeks, which culminated in his being completely out of control for a long time until at last his landlady called the police who brought him to the hospital. I know I should give it all to God, he said. But I didn't, and now, and now I don't know what to do. I just hope God can understand. His panic and his shame were palpable. This man believed that he was alone and that he was the only one who might have an investment in his future. So when I read in today's gospel about the tax collector, I thought about this man alone. And when I read in the reading from Jeremiah that we heard from Bill, why have you struck us down so that there is no healing for us? We look for peace, but find no good. We look for a time for healing, but there is terror instead. I thought about another man I saw in the hospital, a man who had been in prison for years and years and who was brought to the hospital because he was dying of cancer. The nurses called me because he was so terrified he couldn't stop shaking and he couldn't cooperate with the medication that was meant to reduce some of his pain. Is he really going to die? I said to the nurse. I think so, she said. Isn't there anybody we could call? I said, no clue, she said. So I walked into the room to get him to try to breathe with me and calm down. And he said that he thought that he was beyond redemption and that he was scared to die. Can I call somebody for you? I said, there is no one who would come. Too mad, he said. Again, again, the sense of no one else who cares about what happens. No, I read the letter to Timothy that Diane rendered so well, the one we heard today a million times. Who doesn't know the famous verses? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. But I never thought about it the way I thought about it when I thought about those guys in the hospital. Because Paul wrote this letter when he was on the brink of execution. The contrast between what he said and what those men in the hospital said is so extreme, it's hard to believe. Because Paul said that the Lord had stood by him and gave him strength, and in fact is now just waiting to give him the crown of righteousness. His belief in the reality of God 
in the real presence of God, in the real investment of God in his future, is amazing. Jeremiah's way of saying that is, the Lord is in the midst of us and we are called by his name. We belong to him. We have his name. When Paul waits in prison for his death, to him it is only about being called by God. It is only about allowing God to decide what happens next. There is no idea that he's alone. I mean, he talks about losing his human defenders, but he's not troubled because it is only God who can make the next move. And Paul is completely inhabited by that idea. I don't know anybody with that much faith. The reality of God, the reality that life comes from and only from God, is scarcely in evidence in our times. I could paraphrase Tina Turner and say, what's God got to do with it? And that could be what the culture thinks. We used to think before 9-11 that we were the most trustworthy and most invaluable thing in our lives. See that? But now we are looking for comfort in another way. So when I said to the first man in the hospital, do you want to talk to God about this? He said, I wouldn't know what to say. Why would he listen? Why indeed? Why would God listen to him now after a lifetime of self-destruction in which he took matters into his own hands every day and passed up every good thing? Listen. Listen to Jeremiah again talking about the plight of the people in exile like this man, thinking that they were without God. We look for peace but find no good for a time of healing, but there is terror. Jeremiah, you remember, was the prophet who had the excruciating task of helping the chosen people imagine that God would never leave them. That the destruction of the temple and the exile in Babylon were only temporary and that God was not missing in action. Jeremiah's poetry is the cry of children who have behaved badly and who are now looking for reconciliation with their beloved parents. My man in the hospital bed believed himself to be in Babylon without hope of God's interest in his recovery. People in dire straits, sinners and tax collectors, are those whom God will grace, we hear in the gospel. But what about us? What about the Pharisees? What about those of us who pay our pledges, come to church, volunteer, and are trying to be good people? What was wrong with the Pharisee anyway? Well, what was wrong was that he believed himself to be justified by his own agency. He believed that something he did or didn't do would decide his salvation, not God. My patients in their beds believed that they had forfeited their salvation by their actions, just as the Pharisee believed that he had earned his salvation by his. God was not in that picture. This parable is about the power of prayer to keep us from believing that we are the ultimate force in the universe. It is about the power of prayer, listening to God, to make us mindful of the interest God has in our every breath. We belong to a church because we believe that God is with us most intensely and forcefully when we are with each other. 
here in this church, we do have prophets and saints. Jeremiah tried to get people to think about God as suffering with the people in exile. He told people that God's suffering about them would lead God to rescue them. We in this church have members who willingly suffer with the people who are troubled here and in this community. There are people in this church, on the healing prayer team for example, who pray every day for people suffering among us. There are people in this church who are making food for people in the community who don't have food. There are people in this church who go out of their way to visit, to call, to transport, to give money, to run errands, and to advocate for those who need them. And those tax collectors whom you have helped are out there praying for you in the world. They are blessing your name and commending you to God for your generosity and your caring and your hope. I have heard them. I know this to be true. And if we could all just think of ourselves as Jeremiah, as the poetic prophet who helps the troubled world remember that God is always here, we could go a long way toward coming out of Babylon. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot O-R-G. We wish you God's peace and we hope to greet you in person very soon.